Don Rahul Jimenez. How amateur is that? Like, you don't even see that down in the park. If they, if they lose, it provides great content. I am supporting every team that plays break. I'm not making a documentary this year about how shit my club is. Mudman, thank you as always. Who would you rather lose it to, by the way, me or Johnny? That's somebody's choice. <laughs> Welcome back to the Football Babble. Uh, recording this on Wednesday the 31st of March. We're almost into April uh, for 2021. Still in a pandemic though, much bit shy, but hey-ho. Um, there was no Patrick tonight, so the four of us are on. It's uh, myself, Phil and Brenton. Hello, Brenton. Good evening. Uh, the boss man. Uh, obviously the very bold Stephen. Hello Stephen. Yeah, and who caused us to be 20 minutes late, so apologies. <laughs> and always uh, the really bold one, the wild one actually, Cousin Mud. How are you Mud? Oh, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. Um, yes, we're all back together. Patrick's not available tonight because he keeps forgetting Northern Ireland are playing. And scheduling podcasts, and then we have to change them. So he, he's watching the match, and it's currently what is it, twenty three minutes past eight, and it's currently nil nil still in their game against Bulgaria. So uh, hopefully they'll get a win in there tonight. Uh, we're we're not really going to go into too much about the Premier League action um, per se this season. Anyway, tonight we're just going to talk about our experiences that are going to our first ever football game, uh, some chat about what's been going on in international football, and 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 even chat about potential boycott and guitar and how that's sort of been bubbling bubbling away and what can happen there and um we, we'll just see what happens and whatever we can spitball into it so as always thanks for joining us folks um the first thing we'll get into just because it's a bit of crack we started a whatsapp on our whatsapp group we started a conversation about going to the games because all four of us are really missing it and hopefully soon all four of us will get the game together and uh, we just sort of reminiscing about our first ever memory so um I'll go first. I'll start it off with um, the first game you were ever at, basically. And, and if you're listening to this, and we'll probably ask you later on our socials, get involved as well and tell us your first ever memories. Now, my first one, obviously, was a Liverpool match. Uh, well, there was some in the Irish League, but it was a Liverpool match. Uh, it was Liverpool against Newcastle uh, at Anfield uh, in the 2001 season. So the season that Julia won all the trophies. And Michael Owen was unreal that year. And I was a massive, massive, massive Liverpool fan. Uh, obviously, and I had a, as an Owen, Michael Owen fan as well, I had the kit and his name in the back. And he scored a hat-trick that day against Newcastle, um, and it was great, it was fantastic, but the whole buzz of the whole trip, like I made my dad uh, take us there, get there early, uh, we, we went over in the boat with a crowd of strangers, get off the boat on Friday, couldn't sleep uh, Friday night, you know what it actually made me do? He made me ring home to my mum. That's how sick he is. He's about 20 pints at this stage. He made me ring home to my mum and tell my mum that I can't <laughs> that I can't find my dad. He went into a pub and he hasn't come out. Now, bear in mind, it's 2001, so I think I was either first year or P7. And so obviously she, shit, she hit the fan. Like, she was ready to kill him. She was ready for getting emergency police and everything involved. And then once he realised how the situation had completely backfired on him, he took over the phone call and calmed everything down. But yeah, I was so stupidly excited to get to Anfield that I made Dad go up really early on the Saturday, too early for his hangover. We bounced around. Anfield had a McDonald's and all, which is, I was just stunned by, obviously, being a McDonald's lover. Um, randomly enough, though, 
I didn't know this at the time, but one of Dad's best friends, his big brother, was actually had lived in Liverpool for years and worked at Anfield uh, as part of the stadium tour guides. So he got us a free tour guide, and we got took around this tour of Anfield by Alan Kennedy, <laughs> that had scored two penalties in European Cup finals, one to win it against Roma for Liverpool, which was just unreal. I was walking around, and he actually thought I was going to be a mascot, so he asked me did I want to be mascot on this year. So the whole uh, like. It was just chaos for me. Like my head was buzzing. I thought I was going mascot. Got to randomly meet Sammy Hippie and everything. It was class. Saw Michael Owen score hat trick. Wound up some Newcastle fans, and it just hooked me straight away. And I don't know which one, how old you were when you went, but like all of a sudden, then I had to go back. I didn't go back for a few more years, and I'll maybe talk about that later because it was a different feeling. But it was just like the the complete buzz. I'm getting a buzz talking about it now. Just me and my dad being around the field together, and hopefully I'll get to take Finn soon. But Steve, what what was your first game? And I hope your dad took you to a Liverpool match out of pure badness. But what was your first game that you were ever at? I absolutely didn't. But my dad took me to Ireland, England in Lansdowne Road in 1995 was my first game. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Massacre. I actually, because I, I saw you chatting about it in the hashtag group, and I just said I'd, I'd wait till the pod to reveal it, because, yeah, it was quite special. Um, I was always jealous. Remember that kid that got on Sky News or Sky Sports? And then he got yeah. like three tickets to every Premier League game he wanted to go to afterwards because he was feeling crying. I wasn't crying. I was just looking at it going, what the fuck is going on here? Like, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that was my, that was my first, uh, experience of, uh, of international football and going to a game. My dad used to go to all the matches and he stopped going after that. But I was kind of looking up that game. Do you know who the referee was that night? It was no. Dick Yole, Martin Yole, Spurs manager brother. Uh, it was three that night. Yeah, what a random thing that I just found. <laughs> was he had to be a decade then. Yeah, well, clearly, obviously, like, but yeah, that was my first experience. And do you know what actually stands out to me? My first Man United game was uh, like a Man United eleven versus Ireland kind of jobby uh, that didn't, doesn't really stick much in the memory. But my first game, I brought Teddy to. That really sticks out to me as well. It was a Shamrock Rovers Dundalk Leinster Senior Cup game. It wasn't even like a League of Ireland game. Why it sticks out is because Teddy, obviously, you know, he went in, we got him a jersey, he bought one of those foam fingers, you know, Shamrock Rovers and mm. Man or whatever. Uh, but it was a, the wor- one of the worst games of football you've ever seen. And the same night, Japan and Belgium were playing in the World Cup. I think it was the quarterfinals, was it? And Japan went 2-0 up against Belgium and Belgium came back and won 3-2. Yeah, and so yeah, you're yeah. watching a bunch of 16 year olds hoof the ball around, you know, Palace Stadium while <laughs> the best game in the world of knockouts is going on. But it, like, just seeing him and like, he's, his number one sport is basketball, but even that was, that moment of kind of, it kind of dawned on to him for the first time, like, why football, like, was kind of important to me. And it really, really sparked. I worked as a sports journalist for years and it kind of, it dulls your, your, like, fandom I suppose to a little bit because you have to be impartial or whatever well for the most part you have to be impartial but that kind of scene it's through his eyes again really like reinvigorated sports to me now and I'd never say I was a Shamrock Rovers fan but because he is it makes me it makes me follow what you know how they're doing and stuff like that and getting him to games again will be as soon as lockdown is over like getting him a season ticket um, and like really building that love from because I don't think anything anything beats like being at games, regardless of the level, like you just it's that feeling that you get, and I'm just living it vicariously through him. I think is the is the way to go. Yeah, that's I I I can echo that. I can't wait to get 
uh, Finn be fathead at games like um, and see how he takes it. He might like it, he might not, but he, he might love it, but I just want to experience it anyway. And you know, my dad actually can't wait till me and him get back to games, so that'd be nice too. And Brenton, what's, what was your first one? What, what game were you at first? Can I just ask Steve, have you been to Old Trafford? I've never been, I've seen United four times now, and I've never been to Old Trafford. Uh, what? Yeah, I know. I've, I've been just... to Old Trafford. I just don't like the idea of going to Manchester. Um, oh, fair enough. I've seen them in London twice. Uh, I saw them play Barcelona. Ah, oh, you're a real Man United fan. Huh? I'm not <laughs> here, <exactly. laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, Yeah, no, I, ne- I just never got. I never. I never. I don't know. There's something about it. It's like it's like the Raiders. Like I've seen. I saw the Raiders play in London, but I haven't seen them play in either Oakland or in any of the cities they've been in either. Like I don't know. I just. It's a weird one, but you're right. Yeah, proper Man United fan. Only seeing them away. Plastic. <laughs> oh, cover shite anyway. Don't go. Well, what was your? Yeah, well, well, I mean, you, you Anfield, Anfield, like, come on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Brandon, what was your first game? Um, it was Chelsea Newcastle, um, two thousand and seven. Um, uh, just past Christmas, <coughs> me and my dad went over. Um, I guess fourteen maybe. Um, Chelsea were shite, terrible. Um, but so we're talking <laughs> before the pod. Um, Solomon Clue actually got the winner. Uh, he was a mile offside in the eighty seventh minute, and that just uh, like the we were actually. I don't know how we got tickets to the shed, but we we were in the shed amongst all. The Chaos, um, and absolutely fell in love with it after that. Like, um, it was that uh, Steve right when he was even t- talking there earlier about being there, and um, it's it's not like anything else. Like, uh, yes, like you can join up with people and and watch it in a pub or watch it at somebody's house or whatever with a with a crowd, but like, actually, when you when you go up the steps and you see the pitch, like, um, and it's it's your club, like, and it's your home. Um, it's it's unbelievable. Like so, can't wait to get back. It, uh, not a great game, but um, it always stick in my head. It was actually the opposite side of the pitch, and there was that wee delay. You know, when the the other side knew that it was in before we did, and you're kind of going off them for the for the reaction. Um, but yeah, just that explosion of noise and um, great great feeling. Um, but terrible game. Um. But yeah, that was it. Johnny, what about yourself? Uh, so I went to Highbury in oh, nice. 2004, um, basically the year after the Invincible season. That was the first time I was over with my dad. Um, we were playing West Brom, and Robert Perez scored that day. And I mean, like it was, if the keeper actually dropped the ball into the net, if you ever watched the game over, um, it's hilarious. <laughs> he dives to save it and he has it in his hands and drops it <laughs> through, through the back of his arm and scores uh, Dennis Burkamp also scored but it was really for offside and I was fuming because he was captain for the day um, there was a 17 year old Cesc Fabregas playing as well and oh nice what a boy what a boy even the daddy it's like he was ruining the well, rest well, well he actually was a boy that's fair enough he, he was a boy but yeah, Robert Earnshaw ruined my day because he scored in like the 85th, 86th minute. And 
Yeah. Some guy sitting behind me had brought his dad, like his dad must have been like 70s and 80s, who turned out to be a Tottenham fan. But when Robert Earnshaw scored, I will never forget him getting up and going, Yes, Earnshaw! Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, that was my first experience of Highbury, also getting hit with the ball by Jens Lehmann in the warm-up and he knocked my hot chocolate all over me. But, yeah, uh, I actually messaged Jens Lehmann during the week and he said it was on purpose. So. I would imagine so, he was absolutely crazy, but... Um, yeah, I, my dad also brought me to the Emirates for the first time. Um, what year was that? 20, 2011. Played West Brom again. Um, I hooked them 3 0. So I think, I think actually that was nice. Arteta's first goal at the Emirates. Wasn't his first Arsenal goal, like, but that was a good game. Yeah, I've been to some wild Arsenal games. Yeah, it's, it's, the, but it's absolutely death. <laughs> but what? the Emirates? Yeah. Oh, aye, it is, yeah. No, no denial. It is. It is not, um, it's not great atmosphere-wise, but then again, like, I don't really think Barcelona River historically great for atmosphere, like, you know, certain sections in the stadiums, like, you know, but mm-hmm. the, the day we played Leicester was the best atmosphere I experienced at the Emirates, like, that was, uh, the Danny Welbeck goal in the last minute where we thought we were going to go on and win the league and absolutely fucking did not win the league. <laughs> We've talked about our first, but probably more funnier and better for the listeners would be what would be our worst. Um, what's what, have you been at a game, Brent, where you've where you've just actually just didn't want to be there? It's just been horrendous. It hasn't gone well for Chelsea. Uh, no, actually, every Chelsea game I've been at the one, thankfully. But um, the I, I can tell you a different story, which is hilarious. Um, I went. Two seasons ago, to two. Se- I can't remember. When yeah, last two seasons yeah, ago. Two seasons ago, I don't know. Um and it was a beautiful day on Merseyside, and um, I went with two United fans, uh, Everton and United, and Everton absolutely decked them four 0 and <laughs> I was in the uh, home section with all the uh, Evertonians going nuts, basking in the sunshine, and it was. One of the best days of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and one of them was your big brother, which is even better. Um, my worst, well, I've had a few where I've been at games in Liverpool, I've stunk the place out. Um, I was at Debrechen in the Champions League and we won the last minute. Dirk White scored a penalty. Horrendous game. Um, I've seen them get beat by Celtic in the UEFA Cup, which was wild. Um, I've seen them get beat by... Zenit St. Petersburg and the, then Europa League even though Suarez brilliant that night which was daft again Jimmy Carragher two brain farts but probably the worst even though it was really funny and actually looking back on it now I should have savoured it more was against Fiorentina in the Champions League uh, under Rafa we beat 2-0 I think it, yeah it was 2-0 <clears throat> but we were absolutely destroyed all night Gilardino ran the show um, for them and unfortunately when I was at uni then uh, my, at Liverpool my dad would come over for every every basically cup game FA Cup Champions League League Cup whatever he'd get over and he would get me tickets um, so I was in class and he texted me this, I didn't have a ticket at the time he texted me to say I've got you a ticket for Fiorentina tonight and I was buzzing you know, because when I think of Fiorentina I think of Baddie goal like I think of Baddie Studios so I was buzzing to go see Fiorentina and Baddie and then he said, Unfortunately, I'm in the cop. Oh, well done, Dad, thanks. 
you're not. You're in the Anfield Road end. Now, Anfield Road end is beside the away fans, or sometimes just full of away fans. But I was like, oh, brilliant. First game going Anfield. I'm basically on my own, because I'm at the other end of the stand to him. And I'm right beside a load of Italians. Class, what could go wrong? Let me tell you folks, I can't speak Italian, but for 90 minutes, there was nothing but abuse hurled in my direction. Yeah. It was it was absolutely nuts. Like, there was nothing we could do either. I was sitting beside like two... We were older than me, so I would have been 19, 20s, larger, maybe in their tw- middle 20s, late 20s. Three of us sitting there just chatting away. They were two scousers. And we hadn't a clue what they were saying at us, but for 90 minutes, they just gave us dogs abuse. Their team was on rail the night. We stunk the place out. We were shy. I could actually see my dad. I picked him out in the cop earlier on, and I could see... It, now, he had a lick of pints, but I could see his big cross red head with what was going on. And then he must have just... I don't know if he, like somehow hoofed a load of pints into him at halftime or what happened but when I met him at full time he was like the drunkest man in Europe and I was like what the fuck what is going on here and I was stone cold sober because I'd, I'd had like a pint before and then I had nothing plus I'd, I'd sober and sitting beside these Italians going nuts so I met him he actually didn't know what the final score was until about four or five days later I was talking on the phone when he was home and I was talking to him on the phone. He, had, he didn't even know it was Gilardino who scored the winning goal towards the second half and that and who was playing for Liverpool. He hadn't a clue, so I don't know what he'd been at the whole game, but it was uh, it was pretty grim. You know, we had to wait for a while when we were coming out and then we got out and then you're in town afterwards and then they came into town and they were absolutely buzzing. So it was a grim, grim night. Now, looking back and I, I wish I'd have savoured it more and had a bit of crack with Fiorentina fans, but that was pretty... Of all the defeats, watching them play... That was pretty horrific. And, sorry, there was another time. I was at West Brom. Seems to be a theme of this week's podcast. <laughs> Turned up under that bastard, apologies for Christian, Roy Hodgson, and beat us 1-0 <laughs> after he'd been sacked. <laughs> beat us 1-0. They were fucking shite. We were shite. Suarez couldn't score all game. He was horrendous. And they beat us 1-0. And I was there for the long weekend. And I went back to my mate's apartment and didn't leave for the Sunday night drink. I couldn't be bothered. I was too annoyed that Roy Hodgson had beat us. That annoyed me as well. That was horrendous too. And I think it just came back into my mind. So I've seen us lose a couple of times, which hasn't been great. What about you, Steve? What's the worst you've felt at a football game? Uh, I think I mentioned earlier on about missing. It was what I was missing when I was watching it. Uh, No, but I saw, I was at the uh, United Madrid uh, Champions League, was it the second round? Uh, The Madrid game in 2000, where they drew 0 0, and then they lost the second leg 3 2 with the the Beckham goal. Uh, And, you know, it cost a fortune to get to Madrid for the game. Uh, The hotel was a shit show. The game was as dull as dishwater. And it was like, this is a long way to travel and a lot of money to spend to see a team draw 0 0. Um, So that was was kind of bad. But, like, yeah, that's kind of it for, like, in terms of experience. I've I've seen some. Absolute stinkers of of Ireland games over the years, like that I that I don't live very long in the the memory at all. Um, so people think things are bad now. Try try Macedonia, try Liechtenstein, saw them all, um, and minus minus crack. Yeah, that doesn't sound great at all. Like. <laughs> Suppose that Johnny, uh, when you think about like fans giving off about spending all this money to come away to watch their team play and play shade. Like, you were saying there, like, you done that once, and there's people that do that how many times, every, all, oh, every yeah. season. Like, it's just, 
if he can understand the frustration, like, but yeah, uh, well, I, I've sort of, I have two, uh, really. You obviously know him. You know him, probably not the listeners know. Like, I went to watch uh, Arsenal play Liverpool on Anfield uh, <laughs> a few years ago. Uh, it was my first away game. Uh, it was brilliant, like, prior to the game, like, going into the concourse and all, and all the Arsenal fans were there, and it was just absolute madness, like, and I was in the, I was in Liverpool for the weekend, and Liverpool's fantastic, like, that was the first time I was ever there, and the city's just great, and the people were great, um, but I was like, right, okay, you know, Sanchez was back in the squad after the Confederations card, sorry, the Copa America, and, uh, Obviously, there's a lot of talk about the Ox going to Liverpool, and he started the game, and they played better at left wing back, which was fucking absolute manic. I don't know why they done that. But uh, anyway, I, Liverpool hoofed us 4-0, and um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you're just sitting there. Like, I, I had never, well, sorry, I had Atlanta, I had seen Arsenal be a part of that, but I'd never seen them get picked apart. Just the way they did that day was just unbelievable. Like, Seeing Salah run clean through and just knowing no one's getting back here to stop him. And he's going to make it 3-0. The cop, like everyone always talks about the cop and this myth of the cop. On that particular day, like, I mean, the stadium was bouncing. It was just, it was unbelievable, like, the, the atmosphere. And like you say, I feel like it's, it's a different story when Liverpool are winning 4-0 and the home fans are right there beside you. So, uh, yeah, it, it was, other than the result, it was it was a great experience. But uh, I actually went over one time during the week to watch Arsenal play in the League Cup. I know, I know, I know what you're thinking already. The League Cup, I actually wasted my money going to watch that shit. But we played Southampton at the Emirates, and uh, we ended up getting beat two 0 And I was sitting in the second <laughs> row at the corner flag, and. Ran Bertrand stuck the second in and ran right over in front of me and celebrated and I sort of goes you Chelsea cunt and uh, yeah oh, oh he was just he uh, just you know didn't bat an eye like why would he but yeah Southampton absolutely played Arsenal off the park that night it was just embarrassing Champions League winner Jerry yeah 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 he is on we definitely uh, the talk of Southampton there is reminding me I was actually supposed to be at that. Uh, I was supposed to go to United Southampton in Southampton where Southampton won 6-3. I was supposed to be at that game and I missed my flight. Um, <laughs> I have never been happier. Like, <laughs> right hand sent off, Phil Neville on goal. Like, it was, that was just a shit show from, from start to finish. I'm trying to think what year it was. Was it 96? Yeah, I think it was ninety six. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was, I was. Yeah, I was fourteen. So, yeah, uh, it, was, it, was that, it was the season of the um, was it the season of the blue, the blue and yeah, white stripes. Yeah, yeah, the names on the jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had the jersey. Um, um, never wore it again. I've actually, I've actually, I've actually witnessed Luxembourg in, in real life. Would you believe uh, Paddy's? Um, Paddy's family and his, his lovely dad, God rest him, he t- used to take me to Northern Ireland games with them. And we were at the Luxembourg game where Northern Ireland drew, thanks to David Healy free kick in the last like two or three minutes, drew one all with uh, Northern Ireland that night, which would have been 
pretty grim at that stage. Luxembourg are a lot better than I, obviously, and they've proven that this week alone. But um, yeah, that the atmosphere that, that night, uh, Windsor Park was not rocking that night, sirs. Let me tell you, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Um, and the and the away fans were just below us, and they were giving it stacks. Fair play to them, all six of them. Um, <laughs> but it was, uh, yeah, I still I've seen that. Like, it's mad though as well. Like sometimes I think. Like I'm talking about, I was talking about how I've seen Liverpool lose, like Liverpool getting getting absolutely chinned out of the UEFA Cup by Celtic that night. John Hartson, um, and I was right behind him when he smashed that. And you knew it was going in. That was horrendous yeah. result wise. That's one of my favourite memories of all time. Like mm. that's one of the, my best memories of football. I would I would relive that again. It doesn't it doesn't really bother me. They lost the game. I'd relive that. No problem because just to think like I was just my dad's mate and my dad. Uh, I was still only young teenager, thirteen, fourteen. Uh, just the whole crack we had, even with the Celtic fans, because a lot of them were obviously from over here, and the banter going back and forth, and different things in the boat, and and um, then like getting into Liverpool and going into a pub with a stupid name, and my dad, because he was that tipsy. My dad sounds like George Bessie there and getting on, but um, he, and he, <laughs> he can't drink anymore. You see, that's why I'm talking about it so much. He's just had to stop, um, but. He uh going into a pub after the game and him having a lick of pints and then trying to ring a taxi and we couldn't get the taxi because the pub was called the Coxwell Inn and he just couldn't he just couldn't speak like he couldn't stop laughing he was crying and it's just brilliant it's brilliant brilliant two days trip uh spent there were there a lot of affectionate memories and even like having pints well I didn't have pints I was fourteen but them having pints with Celtic fans and the camaraderie and all going on and and I, and I remember as well randomly this fellow was the strongest. Cockney accent I've ever heard in my life. Like Joe Joe Cole on steroids going berserk when Celtic scored, like as in going mad with uh, delirium and he was in the Liverpool end. Oh really? He's just mad massive, like I mean humongous, bald, skinhead fella. Um and he'd been talking to everyone all game, but he was really energetic. I'll never forget that. And then this the John it was Thompson scored the first goal, the free kick, and he he didn't really do much. But when Hartson scored that screamer, he went absolutely bizarre. I thought it was about ten thousand people were gonna punch the face of him. <laughs> and he looked like he'd be fit for them to be fair, but I'll never forget that he was right behind me and dad and going absolutely nuts. And then calming down and trying to apologise, people being like, Oh, whatever, like, you know, being grand about it. But someone saying as well, uh Someone giving Heskey abuse. Some fella said he called Heskey like he didn't call him anything racist, but he called him like stupid or um a, like a dead dose or something. Where he kept doing it all game, and then out of nowhere, this guy, the strongest guy, Saxon said, "Fuck up, you! Or I'll put you out." And that was it. Bang! He just stopped straight away. And then you know that thing. He's like, "Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> it's like someone went. Yeah, and then everyone's like, yeah, when everyone clapping and roaring then. But um, yeah, I I love that night. I I would happily relive that, even though Celtic beat Liverpool that night. I'd, I'd relive that all over again. The whole atmosphere. You'll never walk alone that night. Was just like it bring tears to you. It was just incredible. Um, I see. That's that's where like I I check out because like two teams can't have one song. You can't be sharing. Well, well, they shouldn't have stole it then. Yeah. Well, <laughs> look. I'm, yeah, look, but like that nonsense of 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 the the, the two sets of fans singing the same song, absolutely not. Like, Dortmund uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I think my trolling has cost me because obviously I don't have because my parents are both massive Liverpool fans. Like, I don't have these memories uh, because I was so antagonistic towards them as uh, <laughs> a child. Uh, and that's because what the, basically what you're saying is you were just a little dick. That's what you're saying. 
pretty much pretty much there's yes. like if if my parents really really wanted to i'm sure they could dig out a photograph of me around the age of six in a full liverpool kit with a candy jersey oh uh, god yeah i think that probably does exist but maybe maybe it doesn't <laughs> give you shivers Today yeah. i would tell you is, um about and folks we hear this the listeners about the time one of the times me and my dad had a row when i was a kid and uh liverpool were beat and I was fuming. I was like properly through the dummy night. And I, I was like, fuck this. I'm not supporting Liverpool anymore. And he's like, all right, calm down. Can't you be okay? It happens. But, you know, trying to calm me down. And I was like, no, fuck this. And a fellow behind us supported uh, Leeds. I think it was Leeds. And he goes, fuck this. I ain't going to support Leeds. I didn't say fuck this. It was only with Ian and I was, I ain't going to support Leeds. And he actually says to me, are you fuck? If you go and support Leeds, you can go and live with them and across the hedge. And my mum was like, "All right, this is escalated." Then she had to get in the middle. He turned all of a sudden, like he's like, "Oh, you fuck, what is what he like?" He couldn't take it. Then I had mentioned all the team. Thankfully, I calmed down. Like, but there's part of me wished sometimes that I supported a different team than him, so I could troll him, um, or he supported yeah, someone else. I have another uh, good one. Actually, it's not about myself, but about a bad experience at a match. Um, my previously mentioned United fan of a brother. Um, he was working in Glasgow at the time, and Phil, you probably know this. Um, yeah. He he could. Uh, it was 2012, um, last game of the season, and he could easily travel down to Sunderland. Uh, you know where this is going like. Um, and I don't think they had much to play for Sunderland in the last game of the season. Um, they did not. United were winning one nil. And he was among the Sunderland fans, so he, he couldn't really celebrate much that they had won the league title. And then the news came through. <laughs> and he had to start doing the pause man with the Sunderland fans. Oh, my God. Oh, well, you know, you get what you deserve. Yeah. That's appropriate as a girl's leaving City, too, that that story has resurfaced. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I must bring it up with him again, actually, because um, it's it's such a good story. Like him telling it, like just the emotions. That's like me, actually, when um, we went over to um, <clears throat> Old Trafford for his stag, and went to one of the one of the United bars um, before the game, and <laughs> I had to absolutely slate John Terry in a number of chants, and inside I was just dying, but. I, I, I like I tried not singing and I got absolute death stirs from a couple of fellas. So I had to just sing anti John Terry songs for the entire duration of being there. Um otherwise I was probably gonna stab. Sorry? That would have been Chris. Just singing <laughs> anti John Terry songs and he's an absolute prick anyway, so that would have been Well he's just he's um, one of the head characters like. Um we, we we've obviously touched on certain uh, international games because we, we've experienced them myself and uh, and Steve talked on there, but it is still international week. Um, England are winning currently one 0 against Poland. Northern Ireland should be one 0 up against Bulgaria. Almost hit the crossbar and almost scored there as I was talking. But it has been international week, and um, well, we will start Steve with the Republic of Ireland and and briefly talk about that and what's going on, just to get your thoughts because obviously I know you've followed them and and covered them and whatever. Yeah, I've mixed feelings. There's been a lot said about the Luxembourg result. It happened. You get chinned. 
you move on. That's we may be on it like it, you know, whatever. There's nothing you can do now. It's happened. But as a fan, and then someone that sort of covered him as well, this team under Stephen Kenny, like, where where do you see it going? I think there's there seems to be only two schools of thought at the moment, right? And that's either it's all the FAI's fault and give Stephen Kenny time, or you know Stephen Kenny's just not good enough to manage at this level. Uh, and I think, as always in these things, the answer is somewhere in between. Yet yeah, the structures in the in Irish football in the Republic are just bad, and they have been bad for twenty years. I think I saw a stat that nobody born between was it two thousand and three and two thousand and five or something has mm-hmm. been capped for Ireland, and like those are player, those are kids who should have been born in the wake of a really good World Cup performance, whose parents should have been really into football. And I think I think that's part of the issue here is that you start playing football as a kid and your coach is your mate's dad. And then you get to a certain level and you keep playing at that level. But the really good kids, they go on to like St. Kevin's Boys, say in Dublin, you know, specialist schoolboy club, um, play high level within within Ireland. And you might not even get a really good coach there. It's only when you go to England or you go abroad that you start getting coaches with UEFA licenses or whatever. The difference is, I, I think the model should be Iceland. We Iceland, Icelandish football was absolutely in the like it was buried, dead and buried. It was gone. There were no no hopers in international football. And what they decided was, if you want to play, if you want to coach the under sixes, you have to have a UEFA C license or a UEFA B license. And I think that's where we need to start. We need to start with coaching uh, from the ground up. And it's going to take time. I think we've got some good younger players. I think there if. Feels like we wasted the Brian Kerr kind of, you know, we had the Damien Duffs and the the Roy Keynes coming through, or the Robbie Keynes coming through, but that mm-hmm. was, that was really it. Like there was maybe two or three players from that era that that that, that made the breakthrough. I think it can't can't be understated how different this Ireland team looks with Jack Grealish and Declan Rice in the middle of the park as well. Um, and I that, like not getting into the politics of it, like because obviously the Republic of Ireland have been as guilty as taking players from, from other countries as, you know, so maybe it was karma there. But there's two players who, they're the kind of players that Stephen Kenny coached and they play in the style of football that Stephen Kenny is used to coaching. And he's coming into a team that have played one style of football for every time they've arrived on the international setup all their life. And now he's asking them to do something different. And I don't think you can do that in 10 or 11 games. I think it takes time. I think it has to get worse before it gets better. And we were chatting in, in the WhatsApp group. Like, he has to abandon the five at the back. It's too negative. Um, I don't, don't uh, yeah, play that against Portugal. Play that against Serbia, teams that are stronger than you. Don't play it against Luxembourg. Like, unless it's three at the back and you're, you're playing your, your, it's not two defenders you have as the, as the, 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 the wingers, it's two attacking players, then I can understand it against Luxembourg. But it wasn't, it was a defensive mindset. Um, I think some of the players who are really solid players at club level, like the likes of O'Shea, the likes of Doherty, haven't been great at international level and that hasn't helped. Like, oh, um, O'Shea won man of the match, like, against, Qatar, like, again, giving out 
man of the matches and friendies, I, I don't understand either. But like, and I saw someone saying him and the keeper, um, were the only two players to kind of come out with the three matches with, 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 with kind of, um, any sort of pride. I was thinking like, well, O'Shea was at fault for the equaliser in Serbia and, and the young lad, who's only 19, of, of course, so you give him some, some leeway, could arguably have done better for both goals, the goal against Luxembourg and the goal against, uh, Qatar. So I think there's, I think he should be given the chance and I'm rambling a bit here because I, I, I'm trying to separate the fan from the person who was paid to watch football before and it's really difficult when it comes to an international team to kind of do that sometimes. I think he's trying to play football the right way and uh, I'd be a hypocrite if if I turned around and said well we should sack him based on results because you know I've watched Ireland grind out enough good results with terrible football to know that I actually prefer to watch good football and maybe not get the results every so often okay. um, but what's happening is he's running he's running out of time with even the the most patient fan and like he's, he's, his number one biggest issue is that Martin O'Neill, Mick McCarthy, Robbie Keane, Damien Duff, all people who've either been hard done by by the FAI or have left his coaching setup all have an awful lot of friends in the media in, in the Republic. And so a lot of negative press will start hearing anonymous sources, like even the stuff over the England game and the video, like that was such a nonsense. Like you talk to, you listen to any player, even the, like the English born players and they're all saying this was a nothing story, but it was a story because it suited Martin O'Neill and his journalist friends for it to be a story. It suited Mick McCarthy and his journalist friends for it to be a story. And that's going to haunt Kenny until he starts getting results. Now, all that said, I am absolutely convinced that Ireland are going to beat uh, Portugal. I, nothing can sway me from that belief because I, Portugal, no, but Portugal are going to come into that game treating Ireland worse than Luxembourg. And I think we've seen Portugal aren't as strong as their lineup should be. Um, like they were unlucky, they were unlucky in their first game. Um, and obviously they went 1-0 down last night. Uh, I just think on paper that Portugal team is probably the best international side in the world at the moment. France is right up there as well. But I have a feeling that this is the kind of thing that can like, just go your way like uh and it's pure hope and hope is no way to to manage a football team but i don't know i just can't shake the feeling that they're going to cause an upset in that game if he's still there by then um just before we call poland have equalized uh, yeah. great finish by a motor yeah, um, so there's a bit of good news for the national football this week uh, it's uh, germany they were getting beat by north macedonia brenton still one nil I think they still are, yeah. Oh, there you yeah. go. Oh, it's like that. See? Somebody get Gary Lineker on the phone, please. Um, <laughs> it's uh, looking like anyone that listens to this podcast sort of knows myself, Brent, and Johnny. We don't like latch on. They, not, the the two Ireland teams, sort of speak. We will watch them, and especially the tournaments, and love it, like and and, and enjoy it. But like, during the national football break, it's for me, it's like oh, when are Liverpool sort of back? Type of thing, um. So listen to you talk and be passionate about it. It's great, and, and Paddy's the same. And if Paddy had been on the night, if Northern Ireland were playing last night, he'd be exactly the same. He loves it, and, and I, I try, cherish those memories I have with him going to Northern Ireland games. Hopefully, we get more. But it, it is interesting, like looking from the outside, looking from up here, on the reaction to Stephen Kenny, and the buzz about it when he was getting the job was 
Uh, well, first of all, it was weird. Let's put it because Mick McCarthy knew he was going to get sacked regardless of what was going to happen. He's going to lose his job. Team Canada's going to get in. So that caused a weird dynamic. But to take it out of the side, there was a lot of buzz about the League of Ireland promoting a manager, and he's one of the greatest League of Ireland managers ever, which is class. And as soon as results didn't start going their way, the knives came out straight away. You could see it from certain journalists. I'm not going to name them because it's not fair, but putting their, their articles up in their newspapers, that, uh, the rubbish articles, like talking about Stephen Kenny can't do this and we're doing this and we're going backwards. And you almost, Steve, I don't know, you're down there and you're obviously, you're, you were a journalist, you were involved in all this. You could almost feel the glee coming off Twitter when yeah. they lost to Luxembourg, which is not a place you should be in when you're following a team. Like, like even, even I'm not trying to make myself, but even when, when, when Hodgson... I don't. I didn't like his tenure at Liverpool when he left Liverpool. I wasn't uh, overjoyed that a man had lost his job and been sacked. I didn't want to manage Liverpool anymore, but I wasn't like overjoyed Liverpool were losing games. I was angry Liverpool were losing games and angry we got beat by. I think it was Wolves that night that more cost him his, his job. But I wasn't like, oh, this is amazing. You could almost feel the delight, Steve, coming off some of these journalists that they'd been thumped or beat by Luxembourg. Yeah, there's a huge amount of schadenfreude going on. Um, but, like, Irish football uh, in the Republic, we've had, like, people are forgetting the run they went on, you know, between 2017 and 2018 when they got, was it, five, six games out of eight. I think the only game they won was a friendly against the US. Um, like, the end of the O'Neill era was pretty much what the start of the Kenny year is. Ireland can't score. They have never replaced Robbie Keane as a goal scorer. They don't have... Uh, a natural finisher and I think that is the biggest issue like I said it all through his career Robbie Keane was incredibly underrated like you yeah yeah like a lot of his goals came against teams like Luxembourg teams like Serbia but that's where you need, you need to win those games as well you know it's all well and good mm. beating Germany it's all well and good beating Italy it's all well and good beating Spain or whatever but you need to win those games to qualify for tournaments as well and I think that's where the 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 problem is that, like, you can't. So, say for example, it's stuff like the the, the goal that our, the Republic scored against Qatar last night, right? It was clearly a cra- training ground move, um, that they'd been working on and worked really well. But why why pull that out in a friendly against Qatar? Like, where was that against Luxembourg? Where was that against Serbia? Like, now now other teams have scouted it and they'll see it and they'll watch out for it. Like, it just stupid stuff like that that I that I can't kind of get my head around at all. Um, but, like, they're, they are at least scoring again. They've, they, what, they scored three goals in three games. It's it's better than it had looked. They, they hadn't scored in the previous, I think it was six, or they'd only scored, sorry, in one in the previous eight, I think, under 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 Kenny. So um, the only advantage to this is I had this theory about when the Nations League came in, that there's an absolute benefit of tanking for a few years, getting down to the, the lowest seeding and then qualifying for European Championships that way. Um, and I think at this stage, Ireland are kind of in a position where they should really be considering it. Um, because let's face it, like there, there's a potential that they finish, maybe they don't even finish fourth in this group and that's a disaster in terms of seeding. So, um, there's a, lot, there's a lot of football still to be played, and, and I'm still optimistic that, that it can be turned around. I think there's a couple of good players there. I think Troy Parrott can, will benefit from being out on loan. I think he, he get run. Like, we're really unlucky. Like, Connor Harrison is one of the best players in the championship 
this season and he obviously missed, you know, this entire break. I think he would have made a difference. Um, uh, and, you know, there's, but you're right. Like it's really, really hard to manage a team when you know that there's a certain percentage of the press that are out to get you and they are out to get him. But I also think conversely, a lot of fans can see that that's what's happening. So a lot of fans who would have been kind of on the fence about him are now rowing in behind him because they can see what's happening kind of in, in the media as well. So he's there, he's getting some benefits from that as well. Um, but I think he's on a very, very short rope at this stage. And I think the three games in September, um, then in the next kind of, uh, qualification period, I think if he's not coming away with, with four or six points, he's in trouble. Uh, well, that'll be, that's a big moment then, uh, for Stephen Kenny. So for him, he'll hopefully, well, he hopefully have players fit, uh, well, for a start, but, um, it'll yeah, be interesting to see, by the way. Jeremy's sequelized, lovely. Um, this week as well, and just to get the other two lads involved too, we've seen uh, certain nations, Norway, Germany, I think Austria tonight, have all done sort of a protest uh, on potentially boycotting the World Cup in Qatar. Uh, we, everybody knows the human rights uh, crimes that are going on there. It's it's a monstrosity. I don't agree with it, which is very hypocritical because I watched the MotoGP, MotoGP on Sunday and I actually really like that track and really like that race so yes I'm a dick I'm being a hypocrite here but I I don't think the, the World Cup should go in Qatar I just want to know what what your thoughts were on it and sort of Brent and Johnny John if you want to come in first do you think we could potentially see some of the nations boycott it and do you think there's enough power within football and football players for one of them to pull the plug and then that sort of pull that thread and just release it I I personally think that They'll they'll just come to some form of compromise. I don't think really any sort of nation or you know players really have that big of balls to kind of really take that big of a chance and um, not to go to a World Cup. Uh, I I don't agree that the World Cup should have been in Qatar. Like I I don't think they should ever should have gotten it. It's just ridiculous the fact that they did. It was obviously Brian Ampel looks like. Um, you know you've heard the stories of yeah. Workers getting killed building these stadiums and mad stuff like this, like. But um, no, like I said, like I, I do think it'll probably just be some sort of compromise, and they'll all end up going anyway, like because like that's that's just the way it works. Like nobody has made that big of a massive change, like you know. And then there's like like if you look at Wilfred Saha, for example, now like he's stopped taking the knee, um, because he thinks it's really. Not doing any any good, um, which is a completely different story altogether. Like, but just uh, just as an example, like it's it's a uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of it's weird to think that there is going to be a World Cup in Qatar in you know our winter. It's just going to be very strange, and I don't know. That Premier League season is going to be messed up as well. Like, I think all of the European League seasons are going to be messed up. But you know, if if they really do want change, then they have to like a boycott would send out a massive massive message but I just don't think they really have the cojones to do it to be to be honest that's just what I personally think like, whether they do or not you know will be different obviously what about you Brenton what do you think 
Yeah, I think one of the, one of the first points Jerry made is probably right. Like, like the, there might be some sort of a like they might some put some sort of a PR thing in place that will just cover up what's actually going on, and then it'll get sweeped under the under the carpet from there on in. Um, I think like it's obviously a bigger story because Holland was was one of the players to, and probably the most talked about player in the world at the minute anyway before this um, to, to put on the, the t-shirt before the um, before the Norwegian game um, and if um, you know he was one of the players to to boycott it um, that would be a massive story like goodness knows where where he'll be at, at the time of the World Cup and how many goals he'll score at that stage you know he could be the poster boy um, but yeah, I, I don't see like any mass um, boycott or um, anything really happening noteworthy. Uh, that's that's going to change, unfortunately. Um, it is absolutely ridiculous that it's there in the first place. Um, I think. Like even forgetting about all the scheduling and all that nonsense um, that's going to need to be done around it. It's just the the, the type of country they are, the the, the way that the treat people um, should. And there was a bit of that wasn't there in, in Brazil um, that was highlighted maybe maybe more so afterwards. Um, but this is on another level and and on another scale. Um, but unfortunately, people are going to watch it, and we are probably going to be some of those people. And that's very hard to, um, for the the common man or woman who want to see World Cup football boycott something like that that only comes every four years. Um, when it's really it should be you know the people who are put in place to look after the game, and and they just don't do it. They they care more about the money, so. Um, it's very sad, um, but uh, no. Uh, to answer your question, I don't think. I don't think it's gonna be. Uh, it'll be you know a few stories in the Guardian or whatever, but but that'll be the height of it. Steve, what what happens if say uh, someone like Marcus Rashford took on the crusade? I think, I think it's it's actions, isn't it? We we saw that in the NBA when the Milwaukee Bucks decided not to come out and play playoff game and what that did, you know, much more so than words, much more so than taking the knee, much more so than any kind of thing you can say. It's what you do um, that really makes the difference. And I do think someone like Rashford who could decide, okay, do you know what? I can't morally go to this tournament based on everything I know. Will send shockwaves through world football. Will have an effect. What that effect is, I don't think it will cause the cancellation of the tournament, but it might just put in place a system whereby something like this can't happen again. Um, I think the Holland one is really, really interesting though, because obviously Norway traditionally not World Cup qualifiers. Um, if they get there with one of, as, as Brendan said, like one of the most talked about high profile players in the world. After doing this protest, then they still go. It really, like, it reeks of democracy, um, a little bit. Plus, 
this, this is the thing that gets me. Like, the likelihood is he's going to sign for Man City in the summer. I mean, it's not like Manchester City's owner's human rights record is that great uh, in the United Arab Emirates either. So, mm-hmm. um, so I think there's a lot of there's a lot of people saying a lot of things at the moment, and I don't think any of it will make a difference until somebody actually does something. And and, and Brendan's right with what he said as well about like the likelihood is we'll end up talking about this World Cup. We'll end, yeah. up, you know, and and so we're as bad. Um, like every single one of us who who watches a game in that World Cup, who does a podcast about it, who buys a, a new jersey for the tournament, we're all contributing to legitimizing this world cup but again it never should we should never have been put in this position the people who are there to to protect the game to 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 ensure the integrity of the sport have failed in their duty of care to the sport they failed with russia uh to a certain extent they failed with brazil and i i just feel that we're we're approaching a situation whereby it it's really, really difficult to trust FIFA to do the right thing anymore. Um, and I think Rashford or someone high profile like that actually committing to standing their ground and standing up for it would force their hand in a way that all the Guardian columns and all the podcasts and, and all the human rights watchdogs criticising it could never do. And I think... He is the one player I would have my eye on as well as someone who who may do something about this, and I think it's definitely worth watching. M- Miguel Delaney had a had a piece in the Independent about it, and then he was on the Second Captains podcast uh, today talking to Gavin Cooney and Ken Early, and he actually mentioned that's why I mentioned Rashford. He said about Rashford as well. He said he was talking to someone for his piece, obviously his article source, and they said the fear is Marcus Rashford. <laughs> That if that if Rashford decides to get sink his teeth into it, he could bring the whole, whole thing down. Like you made a good point, Steve. He's what we all three made good points, and, and I agree with him. Like I think it's it shouldn't be there for a start. Um, it's horrendous that it is. In a good way, no, a good way is not the right way to term it, but it's being highlighted now. Like a lot, like football is, is shit, like footballers are highlighting now what's going on. So people that maybe just see a World Cup's coming up that have no interest in football and no interest in guitar, and I see maybe what's been going on there, and hopefully more people are are, buying, are getting into that, and the traction will build in to potentially get this looked at. But one I wanted to say to you three as well, and I'll answer this too. What happens if say in a year or two's time, whatever, uh, we're going quite well? All you listeners have helped us, and we're doing quite well, and we get asked to go and cover it. What what happens then? What what you and this is your own personal opinion, like Johnny, would you go? Uh, kinda of, I don't know. It's hard to kinda of answer that question now because you just don't yeah. know. You don't know until the moment, until you're asked. But if I could actually just backtrack on what I said before, like when I said no one has the balls, probably Marcus Rashford's probably one of the very few that was. But the problem mm. with that is you need a collective, like an entire team, entire nation who just refused to go. The one person can't do it on their own. Um, yeah. But that, that that's actually a very hard question. I don't know. It's really hard to know because like, if the, this platform grows to what we hope it can, then the, there might be the opportunity for us just to say no. 
because <laughs> we have other options, we can do other things, we don't really need to do that, but it's a World Cup and it's hard to kind of know what to say to something like that, but um, it, it really is hard to know. Um, at the minute, I could just easily say, no, like, screw that, why Why would we? But when the time comes and we're sitting and we're asked, it, it is difficult to know, but I don't know. I, that, that's just my answer, like, I really, really don't know. What would you do, Britain? Uh, the only other, the only other approach that you could take is that if you go, um, if, I'm sorry, caveat that you also try and cover the the things that are happening that they don't want you to see. Um, you know, yes, cover the football because that's what we're about. Um, but highlighting the other stuff as you said about Miguel, Miguel's great story. Um, because I know that's that's what I've already said, but it's, it's a World Cup. Like how often are you going to get the chance to go to a World Cup and and cover it and do what we want to do? But um, yeah, that's the like in your heart of hearts, you wouldn't, you don't want to go, no. um, because of of where it is and the situation, um. But that's the, is sort of what I'm trying to say is that's the only way around it that I can see is that you, you go and you highlight and you uncover um, some of the things that won't be won't be in the mainstream media. Steve, what about you? I I think I'd be happy enough to say no. Uh, I know it's a World Cup. Uh, I know it's a big deal. But at the end of the day, like I don't think you can... And it's probably easier because I know the Republic of Ireland won't be there. Uh, and I just like that's, that's probably the, the, the easiest answer that makes it really easy for me. I think given like, you know, last time Ireland were, were at a World Cup was, I was 20, they'll be 40 if they did somehow manage to qualify for Qatar. So I, I completely see it's so easy for me to say, to say no in, in that context. But I think I, I have too long been vocal about these sort of things. Like I didn't stand for the the national anthem at the Super Bowl, um, because of the Kaepernick protest. Got very strange looks for that. And sometimes it's hard to do. It's hard to do the right thing. And I think it like that. That's why it's the right thing because it's hard to say no to a World Cup. And I think what's going to happen is all the journalists that get invited are going to be wined and dined and treated like royalty because. The, the 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 people in power there want people to write positive things about Qatar. That this whole thing is like to attract business and tourism to the country. That's why you host the World Cup. Mm-hmm. Um. So the opportunities to write negative stories, I think, you might not see much. It might be one of those incidents where you you're you're in your five star hotel and you're 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 Ubered to the to the games and that's all you see. Um. But I do think, yeah, if if well, that sounds terrible. Oh yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> if there's an opportunity to go there, no, I'm not being sarcastic. I genuinely do. Oh yeah, no, but that's like, what I'm saying. But I think that's what yeah. they will try to do because I think there's enough. I think there's enough journalists, knowing journalists. I think there's enough journalists that will be happy with that. Um, because some of them, for some of them, it's not about the big story. It's about the the nice hotel. It's about 
the the free drink, the free food. And that's why we don't see more papers reporting the way we do. There are some brilliant journalists out there doing some, don't get me wrong, doing some absolutely brilliant work on this. But every journalist should be doing this kind of work on it. This is the only story about the the 2022 World Cup we should be reading, and it's not. Um, So I think that's where... But I get why, I, I guess why it's, it's, it would be hard to say no, I completely understand. I, I think I would, I would be with you, Steve, I think I would, at the minute, I think I would say no. Um, I wouldn't stop, obviously, anyone else from the football bubble going on at all, but I think personally I would just say no, because I've, I've, I've said enough times how I don't like what's going on, and I just, I would annoy myself then if I, if I, Took not to took the money's cheap way to say it, but took it and and went and it's a World Cup. We're wrong. It's the pinnacle. It's the pinnacle for us. It's not beat about the bush here. That'd be unbelievable for us to get the World Cup at some point. But and that might ruin, you know, chances for one or two of us if we did say no, whatever. But uh, no, I I wouldn't go and I must say I'm not gonna watch it if it happens because I'm not I'm not a dose like I know I will watch some of it. But there's gonna be there's gonna be a large chunk of me feel really bad about that and. You know, be annoyed, and if I get, like, say, Mexico kit if they qualify, um, I'll be a massive hypocrite again. And I just, I don't know. It just, I would absolutely love it in an era where we have athletes taking back control. The greatest of all time, LeBron James, doing that in NBA and being followed, and WNBA is full of superstars that do it. And you'll know that, Steve. Colin Kaepernick taking the stand. Um, Against turn up face and and the white racists in America, um. Obviously, you've covered that too. I, I I just think this would be like this would just be such a statement, such a such a moment to be alive for that would just be selfishly for all of us. That'd be unbelievable to see a, a gang of athletes that we watch in the door each week. And it'd be nice if we led a bit of Mark and Rash Rashford too. Just say nah, we're not doing this. Change it. Do you, Do you think mean? somebody will? Do you think a team will actually do it though? Like, do you really I, think? I don't know if a team can do it, but I can see. I can see. I don't think. I don't know if Haaland doing it is enough, but I can see someone doing it and a collection of someone or someone coming together anyway to raise it and it being running very close to being boycotted. I really do. Uh, I hope it does. And they get it moved and um we play it somewhere else, but then like people are gonna say, Oh, but other countries are involved in all this. Like that's the one thing I always get if I mention I seen again if I mention uh the Man City owners toxic, I would get a DM or a message saying, You but uh you're owned by Americans and Americans have blood in their hands too. Uh, I get that, yes, but I don't think uh I'm not saying Man City owners did, but I don't think John Henry was necessarily involved in anything just yet, unless it all comes out. But do you know, do you know what I mean by that? So there will be people who say, "Oh, you're going to move that to France." Well, look what France has done. Look what Napoleon did 400 years ago. I did on decade, but we're not talking about that now. Are we? We're talking about, you know, so you're always going to get that. But I would just, I would, I would, it would just be for not just sport, like, but for the human race, for a, a gang of athletes to come together and just say, you know what, actually, nah, we're not doing this. This isn't right. Um. It'd be it'd be such a moment. So, 
I don't know. It's going to run and run. As as you've all said, it needs to be highlighted. Um, it should be the main story we're talking about. It should be every single broadcast that is on about the World Cup, every single uh, post-match show about these World Cup qualifiers. There should be some mention of what's going on, but there isn't, unfortunately, um, and there won't be because teams are too selfish and too obsessed about getting to it so we'll see what happens but it's certainly going to run and run and it won't be the last time uh, we talk about it anyway I don't think on uh, the football but one, one little note we, we, were, we have a topic we're going to come back when Paddy comes on um, featuring both Ireland teams which we'll get into which will be nice but one little note did you see the news that came out about Liverpool tonight? You should you no, apart from that did you see it Johnny or Stephen? Yeah like someone spotted 10% share Red, Red Bird, uh, another American investor, has bought a 10% share now uh, in Liverpool Football Club, which is... That's Big Bird, uh, bro. It's big. <laughs> 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 you're, you're such a wee arsehole. Um, they've bought a 10% share in Liverpool now, which, which sort of takes away, uh, alleviates the pressure Liverpool was, are under... With uh, with COVID, the 120 million potentially they'd lost due to COVID and, and and not having fans on the ground, different things. That's come in. I just thought it was interesting now that they've had LeBron James increase his stake in um, in FSG, and now Redbird have taken another thing. So now John Henry and FSG are worth 7.35 billion dollars. Lend us 20 quid. Mbappe. Yeah, feels like it doesn't. It? Well, just it, it's yeah. It feels weird. Like it feels like a, a, another moment for Liverpool where um, <clears throat> I don't think sold, but they're going to get sold. But it just it just feels like a. It, I know a lot of Liverpool fans are rejoicing on it and they're thinking this is brilliant and different things. But I don't know. Maybe the suspicious and the whatever in me sort of thing. I would keep an eye on this to see where this is going because it's just. Um, it's just a strange moment. It came out tonight, so Liverpool fans, check on that. There's a lot of coverage on, obviously, your, your normal media outlets, and the Athletic have run one. <clears throat> James Pierce has put one up about what's been going on. So, a little note there coming up into the weekend that Liverpool have increased um, stakes in their ownership. So, it's, it's certainly an interesting one to go forward. I think uh, we'll have the Premier League action coming back this weekend. All the leagues are back, which is nice. Uh, Liverpool against Arsenal on Saturday night, 8 o'clock. will be delightful. Who are Manchester United playing this weekend, Steve? I haven't even looked. I was too busy being depressed about Ireland to be depressed about Man United. Don't mind yourself. Uh, Brett and who are Chelsea getting beat by this weekend? Ooh, England 2-1. Guess who scored, Steve? I know who scored. Yes, boy. Aliens, was it? No. Thank <laughs> oh. you. Oh, right. Jesus. <laughs> I'm not with the either. He volleyed it in. Jesus. Oh my um, word, and guess who else has scored? North Macedonia are now winning 2 1. <sighs> it's Brighton, by the way, this weekend for United. Trip to the oh, season. Nice. nice. Um, um, well, Chelsea of West, Brom. Oh, gosh, 85 0 win. Well, Johnny, we just we mentioned them enough in the podcast, mate. You never know. Yeah, that's true. The ghost of Robbie Earnshaw, even though he's still alive, he'll come back and, uh, and haunt Chelsea here, yeah, so you just never know. Um, yeah, Chelsea go- struggled to draw with West Brom earlier in the season, so can you have a ghost? If you, can you have a ghost if you're alive? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so ah, you can. If Steve says you can, you can. <laughs> I go off everything Steve says. Um, so yeah, that'll do us for this week. We'll be back next week. We hopefully will have um, and a couple other podcasts lined up. 
we had our um, uh, outpost for goalpost, our second one uh, this week with Mike Holt from the Isle of Man. It was it was brilliant, like a brilliant episode. So please check that out. Brent has us across our socials. Um, oh, next week we have a couple more guests, hopefully lined up. I'm not sure we'll get them on next week because they're busy. They're in the media, so that's all I'll say. But we have three or four coming on uh, in the next couple of weeks, so that'll be class. And we'll be back next week to chat about what's been going on in the Premier League, plenty cover other things in Europe, and um, enjoy the rest of your football action. Steve, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. No problem, always. Uh, Cousin Mud, you were actually well behaved tonight, so fair play to you. Well, that's because I didn't have Spurs to really slag this week, so. No, he did call Martin Yolbrosh dick. Um, and Bretton, the boss man, as always, it's been a pleasure. Do you know Martin Yol's brother actually is called Dick Yol? Yes. Is he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure you're a but I knew you were just calling him a dick, Johnny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> get our get our get our podcast, the Football Babble, across all your podcast apps. Uh, Brenton, what's the Patreon link? Patreon.com forward slash Football Babble. Thanks to everyone that's been getting involved in that. Please, if you can, chuck us a couple of quid. You only have to fire a quid onto it. One pound a month, so that's nothing. Better than Athletic, anyway. Uh, and good luck. Enjoy the rest of your football, and speak to you soon. <laughs>